Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey, everybody. Host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has a real conversation with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they took action to understand this disease. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start Embracing the Journey and learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's even here, believe it or not. We're thrilled for that, and uh, this is stuff you should know. Okay, stop asking. That's right. Uh, I want to say this is part two of the rudimentary games that there is seemingly more to than you would think. Mm-hmm. Starting with uh, Rochambeau, or I almost said tic tac toe again. What's my deal with that? <laughs> I don't know, man. Rock paper scissors. Sure. Uh, but I must admit, there is more to rock, paper, scissors than tug of war. I'm very glad that I didn't have to get that out of you. Yeah, I thought there would. I thought there was more to it than this, strategy-wise. And I think I was suckered by Squid Game, <laughs> which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, uh-huh. Into thinking that there could be some more depth to this. All right. <laughs> There's not a whole lot. No, apparently Squid Games like really took something and and made something huge out of it because, I mean, it was even an Olympic sport for a little while and the Olympics were like, eh, let's not do that anymore. Yeah, although I have to say growing up in this 80s and there was, it was a lot more in the forefront because Mm -hmm. like Battle of the Network stars did it on TV. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you remember the Superstars? No. It was a sports competition show on Sunday afternoons, mm-hmm. and it took you know prominent athletes from all sports and pitted them against one another uh, all season long to to determine a champion. And there was this great obstacle course. It was it was one of the most sort of eighties, you know, aside from uh, American the, Gladiators, American Gladiators kind of things that you could watch. Yeah, and uh, there was a tug of war usually between two teams comprised of like prominent football players versus prominent baseball players. And that was always a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I just watched a uh, a recap of the one hour and 15 minute epic battle from 1978 between members of the Kansas City Royals. And uh, I don't know who the other side was. I think it was a football team. Was George Brett on that team yet? You bet your buddy was. Was that his rookie year? No. But well, it was pre-Bo uh, Jackson, though, right? <laughs> no, 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 pre-Bo Jackson, yeah. Okay. Uh, but that was pretty epic. And on, on that one, they were, I mean, they were laying down in the sand and resting. Some guys taking their hands off at times. <laughs> what? It was, you know, all the rules, you know, they tied the rope around their waist, as mm-hmm. did Lou Ferrigno in Battle of the Network Stars yeah. as the anchor. Yeah. All kinds of things that you don't do, which we'll talk about in true competition tug-of-war. But it it was just sort of, I feel like we saw tug of war a lot more in the eighties than we do yeah. now. Yeah, that and running under a giant parachute that your classmates were billowing <laughs> up for you. That's the second reference I've heard of that in a week. Oh, really? Yeah, I never did that. But uh, oh, but, Chuck, we're, we're going to get though. some. We're going to get some stuff you should know, listeners, together and do that because you have to experience it at least once in your life. It is thrilling. I need to. It was on the Threedom podcast, so Paula Tompkins and Ackerman and uh, Lauren Lapkus were talking about that. It's a lot of fun. We're I'm going to like that is going to happen before you die. All right. Okay. And I guess you I run under. Be the- you run under before <laughs> it catches you. That's the key. So there's like a certain amount of tension to it. What do you mean catches you? Like touches you? Yes. That silky goodness. Don't you want that touching you? No, or else you you dissolve. Oh, okay. 
but anyway, I, I just, you know, and field day in the eighties, like there was tug of war all over the place, but you don't see it much anymore until squid game came around. And I, I think right. that did sort of reignite some interest, including myself. Totally. And it's from what, from this research that we've done on this, um, your experience and my experience too, at that age, uh, where, you know, tug of war is like a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. That's the most you can possibly experience or get out of it. You got everything there was to get out of it pretty much, except for knowing that it was an Olympic sport for 20 years. That's right. And Squid Game is a TV show, by the way. I know we often just talk about things as if people know what they are. Well, I mean, who it's hasn't heard program. of Squid Games? Did you watch it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. of course. Yes. Uh, me and everybody else on the planet. That's why you just mistitled it. I just was curious. <laughs> what did I call it? Squid Games. What, uh, the, what, is it Squid I think it's Game? Just squid Game, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really I really fumbled that one. <laughs> well, it's better than Squid's Game because that's a whole different show. <laughs> right? That sounds like how Hodgman would pronounce it. <laughs> Probably so. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Squid Game, um, like, go check it out. It's amazing. And it's on Netflix. And actually, it alone is worth getting a month's subscription to Netflix if you don't have it. Yeah, but we'll talk about the strategy they use, which made for great television, mm-hmm. but apparently is not a thing, disappointingly. Yeah, but if you haven't seen Squid Games, don't listen to that part. Just right. put your we'll, fingers we'll in your ears you and shout me, me, me at the top of your lungs in a very high-pitched voice until we're done. Right. So we're talking about tug-of-war, believe it or not, and... Um, I think Chuck, just in the spirit of people who say, "Stop saying if you if unless you've been living under a rock, you haven't heard of something," we should explain what tug of war is. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, in the modern sense of the word, tug of war is a game that's mm-hmm. played between. It can be as as few as two people. Yeah. It can be as many as your imagination can fit onto a rope. Yeah. And um, the 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 people are on two sides, uh, they're opposing sides, and they're pulling in opposite directions on that rope. And the point of the game is to pull your opponent past some line to where you've just won or pull them, knock them down, pull it until they let go of the rope. Or There's a few different ways to win, but generally you're pulling your opponent past some line and then you've won and you can run around shouting yes and thrusting your fist in the air. That's right. Uh, I think the most fun versions, especially on television, are when there's a mud pit in the middle. Sure. Uh, in the case of Squid Game, it is a, a, a battle to the death. Mm-hmm. That's all we'll say. Uh, in <laughs> elementary school, it's usually on the gymnasium floor with some tape mm-hmm. or like a, a ribbon hanging down from the rope. Mm-hmm. Or... Maybe if um, the phys ed teacher hadn't pre-planned, it's just their whistle and their lanyard forming mm. a line on the floor. <laughs> That's right. Uh, in the case of Revenge of the Nerds, the nerds have no chance. I guess I should say spoiler alert. Oh, I remember what happens there. They let go. They did. They won by losing. That's right. They let go and the jocks fell into the dusty dirt and the nerds just uh, said, Congratulations, you won. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, Ogre was so mad. Ogre was so mad. <laughs> so um, that's it. That's Tug of War, and you've probably played it before. And it is true. Like, I'm just giving you some grief that, like, there's nothing more to it. There is a surprising amount more to it because it is an, a ridiculously simple game. Um, but it's so simple, Chuck, that Ed, who helped us out with this, makes a really good point that basically if you threw a dart at any part of the globe, you would probably find some historic tradition of some form of tug of war. It's been, it spans millennia. It um, it crosses geographic and cultural boundaries. It's just been invented multiple times in multiple places because it's just such a simple concept. And yet at the same time, it still gives you that thrill that any game uh, or struggle should give you when you win. Do you want to hit some history or do you want to save that? I think we should hit some history. It just makes sense to put it at the beginning if you ask me. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, we're talking uh, Vikings did it. Uh, the, the Nordic sports did it across streams. Uh, there have been various versions of like man versus beast at times or machine versus machine. Yeah. Uh, the British Navy in 1845, they 
used a tug of war to settle a debate on whether a propeller driven ship was better than the old paddle wheel. Mm -hmm. And of course the propeller won. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's been a way to settle disputes at times. Yeah, and I, I think it still is. It's not quite as good at settling a dispute as, say, rock, paper, scissors. It takes mm, longer, and there's, there's you know, potential injury, as we'll see. Yeah. But, yes, you can settle disputes. <laughs> potential sure. amputation, which scissors will never do in rock, paper, scissors. No. Try as hard as you can. You just can't do it. Uh, what about this, the uh, Rasakashi? Yeah, so apparently India has a long tradition of um, tug-of-war-like games. And I guess their their version of tug of war is called Rasakashi, and you can still tune into game shows today, where like that's part of the game show is like a tug of war, and it, there's not you know normally when you watch a game show, there's like a there's just a certain amount of peppiness and like lightness mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Now the yeah. the one I saw of this Rasakashi um, competition. It, it looked like a game show. It was indoors in a stage, and, like, the host was wearing a suit or whatever. But they were dead serious about this. Like, they took it really seriously. Yeah. Um, and that's apparently out of the Punjab region of uh, of India. There's uh, in a, an entirely different part of India called Konark. There's a sun temple there that was built in the t- 13th century. And there's a depiction of tug-of-war on the wall there. So it's been around in India for quite some time, hundreds and hundreds of years at least. Yeah, and of course when uh, Europeans came to uh, the Americas, and this is sort of unclear whether or not they brought it with them or Mm -hmm. whether or not it uh, existed previously to indigenous people of the Americas, which is very possible because they had all kinds of kind of folky sports that they played. And tug of war, you know, I think what piqued my interest from the beginning was the the rudimentary nature of it, which is, like you said, sometimes just one person on one side and one person on another, and can you pull them, can you out, either maybe outwit them or usually just outmuscle them mm-hmm. to do so. So uh, perhaps Native American tribes did this to begin with, but at any rate, they, uh, you know, the colonizers would would play these games sometimes, including tug-of-war. And Ed points out sometimes it was a, a friendlier way to say, I can dominate you, rather than just killing someone. Right, right, yes. Um, and, and again, that's a way to settle disputes or tension as well, or it can be, if it's like, done right. Like, we'll take these 5,000 acres. <laughs> right, because we won a tug-of-war. Because <laughs> we pulled you over that arbitrary line. Right. Um, there's a, there is tug-of-war in China, um, there is tug of war. There's a long-standing tug of war from that started in the 14th century in Korea, called the Gijisi Jul Darigi Festival. I think you nailed it. They they have it uh, every year, and it's substantially different from most other tug of war that you've ever seen. Sorry, tugs of war mm-hmm. <laughs> that you've seen, and that the rope is. Enormous. Um, typically, it's about 200 meters long. That's 600 feet for you American school kids. A meter thick, weighing 40 tons. It's big. And you're like, well, how do you even get your arms around a three-foot circumference rope? Well, you don't. It has actual ropes, smaller ropes that you can handle coming off of it. And hundreds of people will participate in this. And the whole town turns out for it. And it's amazing to see. Uh, and I was like, that certainly rings a bell because Yumi's told me many, many times that one of her fondest um, childhood memories is the tug-of-war festival in Naha in Okinawa where she mm-hmm. was born and raised. Um, and they've been doing that since the 17th century. And it's, it, it bears such a striking resemblance to the one from Korea that obviously yeah. the Koreans influenced them. But it's the east of the town and the west of the town. And they've their rope is even bigger and even more people come. Apparently, in 1995, they set the world record. There were 270,000 people in attendance and 15,000 people participating on the east and the west side. Uh, and I can't remember which one that year. It was quite a party to see that video. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I imagine the uh, Japanese festivals, much like the one in Korea, where the tug of war itself is really not the fun. The fun is getting together, building this rope together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine there's a little bit of drinking that goes on. Yeah, it's had. And uh, everyone just has a good time. It's sort of in the spirit of uh, 
of friendship rather than let me try and dominate you. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, they're all from the same town. It's just the east side of the town and the west side of the town. But the, the so I asked Yumi about that because I, I hadn't heard about the rope being constructed. Apparently at the Korean festival, they make the rope every yeah. year. <laughs> and I was like, did, did, did they construct the rope every year? And she's like, well, I don't think so. No. And I said, well, where did they store this 43-ton, 600-foot-long rope? And she's Airplane like, I hanger. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get to the bottom of that, of whether they, they made the rope themselves. But she was a kid. She, they would go every year, and she just it was like the biggest deal every year in, in Okinawa. She so she was it. the anchor. <laughs> she was. Nice. She was cheering them on. I think she did participate at least one year. Yeah, that's cute. You just grab a rope, you know, and pull. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think some people say that it was one of the original ancient Olympic sports, mm-hmm. but there's not a ton to back this up. Is being true. It may have been, um, but uh, as Ed points out, it you know it didn't it didn't get a lot of press, even if it was. So it was never that highly regarded. Uh, and when it was an official Olympic sport in the modern Olympics, mm-hmm. it was still in the early 1900s was still not super highly regarded. Mm-hmm. In that you didn't field um, like an American, an official American team. There were clubs teams, club teams that would show up and could uh, participate, like multiple from one country. And then sometimes they would just field a team from people in other sports. But if you were like a shot putter, it would say, no, go do the shot put. Like, uh, I know you're on the, the anchor for the team, but it, the schedules conflict and you should do the shot put because that's a real event. Yeah, for sure. Which is sort um, of sad. It is sort of sad, especially if you were, like, the one guy on the tug-of-war team who, like, really took it seriously, and all of a sudden your team dissolved because the shot putter had to go shot put and so on. That's right. Um, You want to take a break and then come back and talk a little more about the Olympic history of it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. everybody, we're here to tell you about Viator, a tool that you can use to plan and book travel experiences around the world. That's right. The Viator app and website make it easy to explore 300,000 plus travel experiences so you can discover what's out there no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in. Yep. Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. 300,000 plus travel experiences to choose from means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. That's right. You can also enjoy real traveler reviews to get insider information from people who've already been on the experience that you're considering. Plus, you get free cancellation that helps you plan for the unexpected. Yeah, and Viator offers 24-7 customer service, so you know you'll get support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. So download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find the perfect travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and AbbVie. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. 
Yep, along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time, it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Okay, Chuck, so um, there's a lot of legend and lore around this very short um, period of Olympic history um, that tug-of-war appeared in, and a lot of it's wrong. Like you were saying that it was an original ancient games event, and there's no real evidence of that. There's also a a widely held fact that a a guy named Constantine Enriquez de Zubiera was the first black Olympic athlete and that he won a silver in tug-of-war and gold in rugby in the 1900 Olympics. And apparently that's partly true, but not 100%. Right. Uh, I think it was a case of mistaken identity usually, which mm-hmm. just one of those internet things where it keeps getting repeated anyway. Right. Uh, but there was a Colombian named Francisco Enriquez mm-hmm. de Zuberia uh, that did win a silver medal for tug of war, but a Haitian Constantine Enriquez won uh, rugby. Okay. So, so Constantine Enriquez was the first black Olympic athlete. He just had nothing to do with tug of war. I think that's the case. But, I mean, that's the kind of depth that we have to get to to make tug-of-war interesting. (laughs) It's cases of mistaken identity. (laughs) I wasn't even going to mention it, actually, but sure. Okay. Um, So, okay. So, there was a 20-year period from 1900 to 1920 Olympics. You could find tug-of-war unless Mm -hmm. your team had gotten dissolved. And apparently that happened frequently enough that I believe in the 19—oh, Olympics was it? To where so many teams got dissolved that they only gave out a gold and a silver medal that year. (laughs) Which means how many teams were there? Two. Two. (laughs) Two. All the other teams got dissolved, and there were two teams left. So you had a, a 50-50 chance, I guess, of either coming in silver or gold and a 100% chance of meddling that year. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Uh, no. I know in 1908, the, uh, there was a police team, the Liverpool police, mm-hmm. at the Olympics. Again, you could field club teams, and that's what they did in England. Uh, they had these big boots because, as we'll see later, one of the biggest keys is the physics of feet on the floor. Yes. And having big heavy shoes if you're uh if you're doing this on an outdoor like on the grass you can dig in with some big heavy boots and apparently the US team filed a protest because they wore these big giant Doc Martens or something like that I guess. <laughs> right. So um that year actually the Liverpool police team medaled got a silver medal. And the the Brits actually swept the podium. The city of London police got gold, Liverpool police got silver, and the Metropolitan Police K Division got bronze. <laughs> so weird is like all these cops battling, all these bobbies battling it out. It is, and but the reason why is apparently it was a big deal in Britain. It was a big deal in um, Ireland as well. Yeah. Um, and your local police force probably had a tug of war team because tug of war was part of their training. And from what I saw, that actually originated from the British Navy um, using tug of war as training to kind of you know hoist sails and all that stuff. You got to basically do that in real life. So they would use tug of war, and then the cops kind of picked it up as police forces came into existence in the UK. And then because with the Olympics, there weren't national teams. You could have club teams. That's how you could have three different 
police force tug-of-war teams sweeping the podium for Great Britain in, in, in the 1908 Olympics. That's right. And it, it uh, I mean, they still, I think, still use it in the American military because not only is it a good workout, but it's a morale builder. Mm-hmm. You get these uh, divisions or platoons against one another. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good it's a good group sport, uh, especially in the military, like sort of a just a brute strength thing to try and rally your battalion. I keep saying all these different words because I don't know what they call each other. Sure. Platoons, battalions, groups. Uh, teams, mm-hmm. um, book clubs, book clubs against one another. Uh, 1920 was the last time it was at the Olympics because they looked around in 1920 and said, we have way too many events <laughs> and what gets cut. Of course, tug of war was one of those. And, you know, there is, uh, I don't know about a groundswell, but uh, certainly after squid game, there were a few people wondering if it should come back in the Olympics and mm-hmm. I doubt it ever will, but you never know. There were some things that happened, though. Apparently, back in 1999, the um, tug-of-war International Federation, who we'll talk a little bit more about later, um, th- it was recognized by the International Olympic Committee. Yeah, um, that's something. Yeah, which that's a huge first step to ending up with your sport in the Olympics. But then just two years later, or three years later, um, the IOC told the media, like, you know, the TWIF is going to really have to get a lot better funding and a lot more international participation before it's going to end up in the Olympics. has a long way to go, if ever it will show up again. Yeah, and, you know, Ed, I hate to say it, Ed points it out. It's kind of true, though. It's not the most exciting thing to watch when you watch competition mm-hmm. tug-of-war. Uh, even watching that Superstars clip from earlier in my childhood, it was an hour and 15 minutes long of these guys basically lying there in the sand uh, with an equal uh, tautness on both sides of the rope. Like, nothing was happening. They're exhausted. They're, like I said, they're taking their hands off to, like, massage their hands and, and try and <laughs> regain some bit of a grip. Uh-huh. But it ended in a draw. No one even won. It was really— Oh, my goodness. I know. it's There's not even a great ending to the story, like with uh, Lou Ferrigno when he beat Billy Crystal. Um, Billy Crystal? Well, they were on teams, but Billy Crystal was on one side. Lou Ferrigno was on the other. Okay. Battle of the Network Stars. I guess it was sure. Soap. Okay. At the time was, was the show Billy Crystal represented. Mm-hmm. But um, at least, you know, Lou Ferrigno and, and Daisy Duke and his team won. <laughs> but no one even won in the in the sand that day. They just dig in, lay there, and eventually they said, we got to stop this madness, so let's set a time limit. Like, as they were going, they set the time limit. Mm-hmm. When it was clear nothing was going on, it was terrible television. And so they set it at an hour and 15, and it stopped, and nobody won, and that was kind of it. And sometimes that's how it goes. <laughs> Howard Cosell just comes on and goes, I'm sorry, folks. I'm <laughs> very, was, very sorry. Oh, no, it wasn't Cosell. He did the, uh, battle, the battle of the Network Stars, though. Okay. Lou Ferrigno. That was Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, you're right. I don't even know who that was. <laughs> So um, we should probably talk a little bit about the TWIF. We we um, revealed that there is an international federation of tug of war, um, and they actually came about from what I saw, Chuck, um, because after the Olympics, people said after the 1920 Olympics, I don't know if yeah you did say that they finally <laughs> said we're we're cutting these. They're, they're, tug of war is not making the cut. That that didn't diminish interest in tug of war in a lot of the countries where it was already popular. So. Um, they actually started assembling national teams, and some some national teams have been assembled for the Olympics already anyway, but they had no way to compete against one another. They could only compete within their countries. And so the, the uh, guy named um, George Hutton uh, got together with the Swedes and said, hey, let's form the uh, tug-of-war International Federation back in 1960, and the rest is history, known to half a dozen people. <laughs> George E.F. Hutton. Remember that? <laughs> Maybe commercial? I was thinking George Timothy Hutton. Because <laughs> when he talks, people listen. Oh, is that who that was? Yeah, remember that commercial? Sure, I remember, but I, I could never remember what brokerage it was. Yeah, I mean, this is this show is just overflowing with '80s references now. All of a sudden. Yeah. Do you oh. remember the Saturday Night Live spoof of that? No. 
Oh, I think it was Robert Smigel. Uh, wow. And they did. They just nailed the commercial. It looked exactly like it. Mm-hmm. But he would just start saying all these, like, bizarre right. things <laughs> with, like, the, the, <laughs> the uh, full attention of the room of these people just enwrapped. I can't remember what he would say, but it's definitely worth looking up. I'm sure it's on uh, Somebody needs YouTube's. to do a, a documentary on Smigel. They did one on uh, the Dana Carvey show. Have you seen that? No. Oh, it was on Hulu, and they said, like, Too Funny to Live is the name of it or something like that. Oh. And it was about this this show, like, Dana Carvey just basically gave Robert Smigel, like, carte blanche to make oh, the yeah, weirdest, yeah. funniest show of all time. No, I, I know what you're talking about. I actually saw that. You saw the show? No, I saw the documentary about okay. the Dana Carvey show. I, I, I thought you, you meant you. on the Dana Carvey show they did a segment or something. I got you. Oh, no. But I'm saying, like, that's probably the closest you can come to a Smigel yeah. documentary right now, unfortunately. You're right. That's a good doc, too. Highly it was. It was. Uh, but if you're talking international tug-of-war competition, um, it is not just, uh, you know, on, on – I uh, hate to bring it up again, but on, on the superstars, uh, as we'll see, weight is a really – obviously huge key factor in whether or not you win a tug of war. So like boxing and like uh, wrestling, you have to match weights. So they actually had, I think the baseball team had one extra dude even than the football side. This was not official in any capacity (laughs) from what you're describing. Well, they had to match weight, you know, that was what it was all about. Oh, Um, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the baseball players were lighter than the football team. So they had one extra person. Okay. Okay. But, in international competition, there are eight people on a team. Uh, I don't even know if there's a weigh-in for for these. Is there? Yes, yes. Most decidedly, it's extremely important. Well, then, I mean, what do they say? Like, you just have to match weight with the other team and like it, plan your team accordingly. Yes, and I don't think it's down to like the pound or maybe even the kilogram necessarily, but it's got to be close enough. There's a class, and your team has to weigh within this weight class. Oh, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. I you thought, see what I'm saying? Yeah, that it, makes it's more It's not sense. pound for pound necessarily, but it has to be an eight-person team, and they have to, like, the combined weight of the team has to yeah. fall within this window for the class. Okay, that makes sense, just like uh, boxing and wrestling, in fact. Right, but divided by eight people. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, the rope itself is... And we should note, uh, again, like I said, you don't tie the rope around the anchor. There are not knots in the rope. Like sometimes elementary school versions, you have knots to make it easier Mm -hmm. for little uh, kid hands to hold on to and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Not true at all in international competition or any real, you know, like genuine tug of war. You're not going to have knots in the rope. No, and supposedly um, most people recommend, although uh, Egg, despite his uh, best efforts, could not find verification. I couldn't either. That the TWIF, it's got to be TWIF, right? That's what I call it. That TWIF mandates that the rope has to be a natural fiber. Mm-hmm. But if you are if you're doing anything kind of uh, pro or organized really even any tug of war, you want to use a natural fiber rope because they're less prone to snapping. They're also less prone to, to stretching. Yeah. And as we'll see, both of those are really bad things that can happen, especially if you use a synthetic rope. So um, you're not supposed to use, most likely, a synthetic rope. Uh, you want to use natural fiber. Right. Uh, and in this case, it's 33 and a half meters long mm-hmm. and between 10 and 12 and a half centimeters in circumference. So it's 110 feet long, about four to five inches in circumference. Yeah. And the anchor, like I said, they don't tie the rope around their waist, but they are the only people allowed to manipulate the rope in a way other than just holding it uh, palms up, uh, which is what everyone else has to do. Like you can't wrap it around your wrists. That's mm-hmm. a bad idea. Yeah. Like, as we'll see later. Yeah. Uh, so but, long to your coding career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but the anchor will... Um, they will pass the rope over their shoulder and then around their back diagonally, then under the opposite armpit and then back over the front of their body and mm-hmm. then back under that armpit. So it's sort of like a little figure eight that they wrap around their body, but it's never tied. Right. Uh, and from from what I've seen, it looks like it can be released pretty easily and quickly too. It's not going to like tear the person in two. And also, they're the ones in the, that are the furthest back, so they would be least affected by a catastrophic break of the rope. Right, or fall into a pit of vipers. 
<laughs> One thing that I didn't notice or realize before that I thought was pretty interesting, but it makes total sense, is that if you are a puller, so like you said, the anchor is the only one who can do anything like wrapping the rope around even their hand. Um, it, you you can grip the rope, palms up, and that's it. You can't like move hand over hand to like gain length on the rope. That's illegal. Yeah, yeah you can't you'll, walk you'll, up the rope. Right. It's called, I think, climbing in quotes, um, climbing the rope. Like you have to basically keep your hands in roughly the same area, which means that all of the pull on the rope, all of the movement on the rope is created by your leg power. Like you're holding onto the rope with your with your arms to keep it from being to keep yourself from being pulled back. But you're also you're mostly using your leg power. Like almost all of the strategy in, in the point of tug of war is in the legs. Yeah, you're literally walking the rope backwards. Lou Ferrigno and team, they could, it was, it's like the <laughs> Wild West. They were pulling that thing hand over hand. Right. You can't do that. Until Billy Crystal was in that water pool. I didn't know you can't do that, but now I understand. You can't do that. No, just for TV. Uh, yeah, you got to just dig in and pull, pull, pull. Uh, you have a coach. Uh, another name for a coach is a driver. Mm-hmm. And the driver is a big deal. You know, the driver walks up and down the line and, you know, there are, like I said, great periods of rests where you have to just sort of, uh, you aren't allowed to lay down though. Again, uh, like on TV, you can't do that. You have to keep on your feet, but there are still periods of what you would call rest. Mm-hmm. And then the driver will, will mount a challenge, you know, a, a, unis, a unified in unison pull, pull, pull. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, it's sort of like being the, uh, who's the person, uh, my mom does the dragon boat t- racing, uh, the person in the back of the boat steers and like the calls. Coxwain? Yeah. That's what yeah, called, that's right? what I thought of too, in, in the rowing crew. The yeah, guy but I mean, stroke. dragon boat, they actually steered as the, do they oh. do that in the rowing team? No, the, the coxswain doesn't do anything except shout into like a little, <laughs> oh boy. like varsity. We're, we're going to hear it. <laughs> Probably. The coxswain society. <laughs> that's right. Uh, who you've heard of unless you've been living under a rock. That's right. Hey, maybe speaking of rock, mm-hmm. we should crawl under one and take a quick break uh, before we talk about some of the supportive gear and footwear, which is super exciting stuff. Okay, cool. All right, we'll be right back. Hey there, everybody. Here's some bonus stuff you should know. This time it's about traveling to Orlando for business. Orlando has tons of places to host your conferences and meetings. Dr. Michael Edwards, CEO of Ocean Insight, said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when the day is done, you can kick off each evening at one of 46 Michelin-rated restaurants. What's not to love? So check out Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Hey there, are you thirsty? Well, before you take a sip, have you stopped to think about what's in your water? Many conventional bottled waters contain PFAS, harmful substances known as forever chemicals. But you can drink water as clean as nature intended. Richard's rainwater collects 100% pure, refreshing drops of rain. Yes, it really is rain, everybody. This rain is caught clean before it hits the ground or becomes polluted with pesticides and contaminants commonly found in groundwater. Yep, Richard's rainwater is naturally pure with no need for harsh chemicals or additives. That means no added fluoride, no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. And you can enjoy the clean taste of Richard's still rainwater and the long-lasting cold-pressured bubbles of Richard's sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And we even have a special offer, don't we, Josh? Yeah, text STUFF to 2512-928887 and you'll get $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's rainwater. Sip the sky. Hey everyone, host Nora McInerney is back for season two of The Head Start, Embracing the Journey, a podcast from Ruby Studio and Abvi. In each episode, Nora has real conversations with real people living with chronic migraine to see how they take action to understand the disease. 
That's right. Recognizing how a migraine attack can change the course of your day, she unpacks each guest's journey and how they talk to their doctors to find the treatment plans that are right for them. Yep. Along with headache specialist Dr. Christopher Ryan and other special guests, Nora speaks to these incredible people who've channeled their feelings of isolation in their chronic migraine journey into advocacy and art. Plus, there are also eight episodes of their first season available for you to binge. So jump into the conversation for season two, a show that creates a little more space for empathy and understanding in such a complicated world. There shouldn't be so much hesitation around asking questions and asking for help. So don't wait. Join the Head Start, embracing the journey as they learn a little bit more about life with chronic migraine. Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. All right. I talked I promised footwear and supportive gear. Yeah, supportive gear. You can wear like belts and knee pads and stuff like that or yeah, like uh, a weight belt. Huh? Like a weightlifting belt. Yeah. You ever have one of those? No, I've never been quite that into it. <laughs> yeah, when you show up to the gym in one of those, you're you're sending a, a statement. You definitely are. You say I'm into lifting weights. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not making fun of it. Especially if you have, like, your name burned into it. Right. <laughs> and some, like, uh, like steer horns or something. Yeah, or like that filigree. Right. <laughs> uh, but the footwear, I talked earlier about friction. I mean, tug of war is all about feet meeting the ground and that friction and being able to maintain your place and digging in and – you, uh, if you're, you know, indoors in a gymnasium, you're probably just wearing some kind of good sneaker, but outside you're allowed to wear these big boots and, uh, mm-hmm. with, with big heels. And I guess they regulate this for competition, uh, cause you don't want to be like the English police team, the Liverpool police right. and overdo it, but you are allowed to wear certain kinds of big boots. You are. And again, it's like you, that's the reason why you're wearing boots is because that is where you're winning or losing the game is in your, your leg power and how much contact you have with the ground and how much of that you can use to propel yourself and your team backward, holding onto the rope and then thus pulling the other team over that center line. That's right. Should we talk about a match? Yeah, I, I think we should. I think we've reached the point. We've laid it out enough, Chuck, that everybody's ready for a match, <laughs> for us to describe through audio a tug-of-war match. All right, so you got that rope. It's laying mm-hmm. on the ground. Mm-hmm. May or may not be a, a mud pit or water in, in the middle. Mm-hmm. But for competition, that's usually like TV kind of stuff. I don't think they really do that in legit competitions. No, they don't. It's got to be on turf grass if it's outdoors or either a gym floor or a special pad that gives you a, little, a lot more traction on an indoor match. That's right. So there's a judge, I guess like a referee. Mm-hmm. They would say, uh, take up the rope. Everyone mm-hmm. on each side would pick up the rope. They would say, take the strain. <laughs> And that just means you pull it tight and taut, but you're not like actually pulling on each other yet. Mm-hmm. And then you have that thing you got to they get they center it right in the middle. You probably got like something hanging down or some tape in the center of the rope. Right. It's going to line up with the center of the of the match floor. And then on either side, and in true competition, I think it's actually marked out four meters on either side of center. Yes, but depending on if you're doing playground versions or Battle of the Network Stars, that number can vary. But this is the official TWIF style, is four meters is where you want to pull your opponent to. Yes, so that that center line that's marked on the rope has to be pulled over either of those other lines on either side. The sideline marking is what it's called. So if you pull that center line on to the over the sideline that's closest to you, you just won and vice versa. <laughs> that's right. I think, yeah, I think we're doing a great job here, Chuck. I think so. Uh, the judge obviously is going to shout, ready, pull. And then, and then that's when it starts. Into the air. <laughs> yeah, they shoot a shotgun in the air. 
Uh, and then these are actually scored, though. They're matches. Uh, each match has two tugs or two poles. And if you win two to nothing, if you win both, mm-hmm. you get three points. If you each win one, you each get one point. Mm-hmm. And then you just progress sort of in a round-robin kind of way, tournament style. Yeah, and then Sudden Death is best two poles out of three, I believe. Right. And if you do dig in Superstar's way and you're there for an hour and 15 minutes – uh, and nothing's going on. The judge can say, call a no pull, which I guess is just like a, a tie. Mm-hmm. Or if one team is just really not doing anything, uh, you can actually be disqualified. Yes, I think that would be the no the, a no pull call if you're not doing anything. Or I think both teams can get a no pull call if they both wear each other out and they both just kind of stop. If they both start laying around like the 78 Royals and whatever football team they're playing, <laughs> that would be a, a clear no pull against both teams. And they, the yeah, game that's would the be tie. disqualified. Yeah. Well, I guess a tie. You're both kicked out and chained. You both and lost. You all are thrown into the mud pit. <laughs> that's right. By the judge. So this is this is still going on. Like this is um these rules are still being followed this episode? in in, na- in national <laughs> and international competition. September of 2022, mm-hmm. the World Championships will be in the Netherlands. Okay. Um and there's yeah, there's plenty of like national and and um and local polls, tug of war polls. Um that go on every Sunday, I believe, starting at 11 is the official time. Wherever your local time is, uh, if there's a tug-of-war competition and they're doing it at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, it's probably official. Yeah, this smacks of the kind of thing, like, you know how there's, well, I know you know there's kickball teams, recreational kickball leagues, because mm-hmm. you and Jerry famously played on a kickball team together <laughs> yeah, many years yeah. ago. That's right. It seems like a 100 years ago, doesn't it? A thousand, maybe. Uh, there's dart teams, there's bocce leagues, softball. I bet you there are local tug-of-war leagues. Surely. There's just no way, especially after Squid's games. <laughs> yeah, you just get drunk on on liquor and pull each other into the mud. That's right. But officially, I think there's seven, 73 countries that are members of the Twi- of TWIF. How many? 73, by my wow. count, according to the rules that were published in 2020. By your count? Were you yes. like one? Two, three. <laughs> right. And then I keep getting messed up around 17 or 18 and yeah, I have to, start to start over. Here's what you do. You copy paste that into a Word doc. Oh, that's good thinking. Just hit number. That. Yeah, that's a great idea. But then it does the thing where it goes 1A and B and you're like, what are you even doing, Word? <laughs> Formatting. And I want it formatted like that. Right. Some people hate that program. Uh, hate Word? Yeah. There's a big Word, anti-Word Backlash. I suspect that's a really a anti-Microsoft backlash. You think? I think so. All right. All right, so um, where are we? So we're talking about how to be good at tug of war, I think. Sure. You got to be strong and have big shoes. Which I, I'm, I realize just now as I'm looking through my notes, I'm missing that page. Don't worry about and it. It also doesn't matter. Because <laughs> you basically said what you have to do. Um that that you need to wear like really good shoes that are heavy. You need to have explosively powerful legs. Mm-hmm. You need to have arm strength, which is something that I hope. Um, which is something I think we, is worth pointing out. If you are actually good at tug of war and you mm-hmm. compete in in tug of war competitions and you are doing stuff like uh, like like world competitions through TWIF, you are an extraordinarily all-around fit person and very strong person because playing tug-of-war in any kind of competitive level requires a lot of different muscle groups, and all of those muscle groups have to be really, really strong. That's right. Uh, I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, Squid Game here. If you have not seen it and you want to or you don't want something spoiled, just don't listen for the next couple of minutes. But Mm -hmm. there's a great, great pivotal scene in that great show where – um, and the concept of the show is that there are these uh, people that have been uh, gathered together who are all very desperate, usually because of money and financial woes, yeah. who are pitted against one another in these childhood games um, to the death. And the winner gets uh, a lot of money here at the end. And tug of war is one of them. And uh, this is a tug of war, though, that is staged many, many floors up and you fall to your death. Mm-hmm. And if the, you lose. And you lose like forever. Uh, as in your your life is gone. Mm-hmm. The the 
the ultimate loss. So in Squid Game, the weaker team pulls out a victory against a stronger team because of a very brilliant uh, strategy employed by the elder statesmen of the weak team, Mm -hmm. wherein they all start out uh, with their feet um, parallel to one another, dug in, and they all, the first thing they do is lean all the way back and look up at the sky and just Mm -hmm. sit there and don't move. And then their strategy, I believe, was to, at a certain point when one person says so, is to release the ropes on to get the other team off balance and then grab it again and start this huh, 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 all pulling in these big unified tugs. And they won. They did win. Yeah, they, this other stronger, heavier, uh, more fit team um, fell to their death. Because you left out that you're, you're connected to that rope. Oh, sure. So when, when one guy goes down, they're, they're, they take the rope with them and thus comes the rest of the team too that's right it's pretty pretty brutal um but there was a study that you found uh in esquire magazine (laughs) of all places um that that some some people basically experimented with it they got a group of like smaller weaker people compared to the other team and and used that strategy and how did it pan out john well, it didn't pan out like the TV show. Obviously, the TV show was dramatized for to great effect. But uh, I did read in another article about that same quote-unquote study <laughs> that um, in theory it could work and this wasn't the best test of it. Uh, and that there was something to that initial uh, stance and dig in mm-hmm. at least. Okay. So I think we finally reached like far and away the the absolute most interesting part of tug of war. It's getting your arm ripped off. Yeah. That you can suffer serious injury and potentially even death from playing tug of war if you don't know what you're doing and you don't do it right because people have before. Yeah. I mean, there have been uh, amputations, obviously some really awful accidents with kids when they would wrap their hands around, you know, the rope around their wrists and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, little little digits that were had to be amputated. Um, a lot of the injuries come from the rope snap that we talked about using a nylon rope. Right. It'll pull like a rubber band and then snap, and that can has killed people. Yeah, because teams of people, and the more people you add to a team, the more dangerous the game becomes for a couple of reasons. One is the, the likelihood of snapping a rope is it increases. And then also when that rope snaps, all those people fall backward all of a sudden, and so people can get crushed and, and trampled, and that happens as well. But when you when you have two teams of people, even uh, like little kids, as long as there's enough little kids, they're exerting tons and tons of force on that rope that's yeah. being stored in the rope. And as I was saying earlier, with synthetic ropes, they stretch more, which means that more tension is being stored more energy is being stored in that rope so that when it does finally snap, more energy is suddenly released. And when it, when it's released, Chuck, when that rope snaps backward, it snaps backward with so much force, depending on how much force is stored in it, that it has torn people's arms off. Like they didn't let go fast enough and their arms still holding onto the rope flew away from them. That's like something out of Squid Game, but it's real. Yeah, that happened in I think uh, Taiwan in the uh, in the 90s, I believe 1997 in Taipei. It happened to not one but two people who were um, playing tug of war. They were the first people closest to to the opposing side on either side. That's who had their their arms torn off. Yeah, and here's a word of advice: if you ever see an ad that says, "Hey, come down and be a part of this Guinness World Record tug of war," mm-hmm. don't do it. No. That's a bad idea. Accidents happen there as well. And like you said, also, if you loop, like, do not ever, even even like fun recreation, um, tug of war, don't don't loop the the rope around your Never. hand because you like the the force that's being exerted on the rope finds its way into that loop which wants to close and it's closing around your fingers and like like you said not only have people had their fingers amputated later because they got so torn off the rope itself can amputate your fingers yeah. like like you can just lose some fingers messing around at a local tug of war competition that's for charity it ha- it has happened before too so be safe everyone I got one more thing on Squid Game. So, again, big spoiler coming. Okay. Don't listen. I'll give you a few seconds. 
Okay. The thing I didn't think about, you saw mm-hmm. it through the end, the show? Yeah, yeah. The thing I didn't think about until today was that that tug-of-war game had to be rigged because the old man was the organizer of the whole thing, so he wasn't going to fall to his death. No. So the, it was rigged. The tug-of-war had to be rigged. Yeah, but I'm not sure how. And, and you I'm might sure have just either. found like a plot hole more than anything. Well, I read online, and some people say that like it was a genuine win, but there were the people up there watching, like the guards, mm-hmm. were like ready to step in in case it looked like that he was going to get pulled in or something. I gotcha. So That's it nice. was uh, they could have cut the rope or something to prevent that from happening, but then the the jig would have been up. Yeah, or they could have. Maybe they had a plan to make it seem like. You know, there was something yeah. that, some, however. But those guards, man, how well done was their uniform just to make them just creepy anonymous? Yeah, that, that was it was awesome. I really love the show. I can't wait for what's coming in season two. Me, whoa, is there going to be a season two? Yeah, I mean, it ends with dude coming back as a genuine tough dude, like going back. Remember, he could have left and he went back. Yeah, yes, but I didn't know that there was definitely going to be a season two. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to go back there like... uh like uh, uh, Linda Hamilton. Jack Black and Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Terminator 2. Yeah, there, okay. There you go. I think that's a more apt analogy. Is that her name, Linda Hamilton? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I thought I got it wrong. Nope, you got it right, man. Just like you got Tug of War right. But did we? Did I? Yes, we did. Okay. We did. Uh, you got anything else? <laughs> no. No tic-tac-toe. I promise we're done with this two-part series. All right. Uh, well, since Chuck said we're done... That means we're done, and that means, of course, everybody, it's time for listener mail. Unless we do thumb wrestling. If there's something to it, sure. Maybe a shorty. I'm always down with with interesting stuff like that, as long as there's something to it, you know? All right, I'm going to call this Eagle versus Hawk and another chance to poke fun at Jerry a little bit. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This this goes down in history alongside the the Wilhelm scream. (laughs) Oh, don't forget, same old Lang Syne. Oh, same old thing. oh, that's right. So, yeah, our beloved sister and producer, uh, Jerry, who we like to tease occasionally, we will call for a special effect here and there. Mm-hmm. And she, sometimes she has a knack for getting them wrong. <laughs> and that's the case with Eagle versus Hawk. Hey, guys, just listened to the Cookies episode and heard the eagle cry, quote unquote, uh, denoting the golden age of cookies. Want to let you know that bird cry you used was probably a red-tailed hawk. Hollywood prefers the red-tailed hawk cry to the actual eagle cry because... It sounds much more majestic. Uh, the first time I ever heard an eagle make a noise, I thought for sure it was a giant mutant chicken. Uh, much more of an aggressive cluck. Uh, definitely understand why Hollywood makes this choice, but I remember being uh, gooped by this fact. Never heard that used that way. So I wanted to share it with you all. Thanks and have a happy, have a happy new year. In my defense, I knew that was a hawk, but it's, the eagle sound was so pitiful I didn't use it. Hey! There's Jerry, guys. She actually <laughs> stepped in to defend herself. There she is. I, Chuck, I feel like an era's just ended. Well, she's been on before, but that was the most blatant Jerry it was yet. pretty blatant, but I think that was a good one, Jerry's Way to step in. Uh, P.S. Is your board game sold out? I was sad to not see it under the Christmas tree this year. No. Uh, cordially, your resident bird nerd, Katie Rose Souter. Uh Katie, the board game did sell out in some... And a lot of online retailers, but it's going to be back soon, right? Uh, actually, Chuck, I think that they're, I don't know if they're sold out or not, but they were sold out everywhere in the world except for Indigo, which is Canada's largest bookstore. They had some mm-hmm. as of the beginning of the holiday season earlier, but they they may be out. But from what our, our friends at Hasbro tell us, they should be back in stock at the end of this month, the end of January. That's right. But anyway, thank you, Katie Rose Souter, for that email. Yes, thank you, Katie Rose. Uh, and if you want to be like Katie Rose and uh, send us an email, you can. You can wrap it up, spank it on the eagle's butt, and send it off to Stuff Podcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Hey, everybody, if you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours, too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.